There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. This is a Virgin Media Originals podcast series. Hello and welcome to The Tonight Show. Finance Minister Pascal Donoghue is here to discuss what the latest NENFIT recommendations on further restrictions are likely to mean for us. Will we be facing a third lockdown? Driving home for Christmas, or will you? Professor Luke O'Neill and Sinead O'Carroll of thejournal.ie will be with us in studio. And later, the year in review, we take a look back with Dermot Ferreter at a year that changed our lives. I need to speak to you about coronavirus and COVID-19. If we can manage to keep things under control, we can prevent a surge in infection. The Leaving Cert as we know it has been cancelled. I have come to this conclusion with a heavy heart. I pledge to be a president who doesn't see red states and blue states, only sees the United States. Frankly, we did win this election. Loser. Get in touch via Twitter with the hashtag TonightVMTV. And our first guest this evening is the Finance Minister, Pascal Donoghue. Thank you for joining us. Not finance matters to start with, though. We are in a situation where level three is our restriction level, but a loosening up from tomorrow in intercounty travel and also the visiting of homes, which is due to last the 6th of January. Is that going to continue to be the case after the ENFIT recommendations today? Well, government's going to have to make a decision about this. Uh, We are in a situation where our country is doing very well and has been doing very well in reducing the spread of of the disease. And at a point in 2021, we will get to a better place. But we have a really difficult period in between. And one of the things that makes that period so difficult is how quickly things can change. And over the last week now, NEFID have given growing indications to government, concluding with this evening, about their concern about where the disease stands at the moment, about how quickly the transmission rate has grown. It is very now very likely there will have to be changes with the guidance that we have now given, uh, but the government will consider that now in the, very, in the next few days and give us clearer guidance as we can as quickly as possible. Because there are reports emerging this evening suggesting a date of the 28th of December by which people would need to be back in their homes if they've been travelling and that the restaurants and pubs would be shut by that date again. And government has not made any decision on that matter. Uh, we had our cabinet meeting on Tuesday. We received further information from NEFID this evening. We have another cabinet meeting planned. I am aware of the huge anxiety this evening that many business owners, all who work for them, now have. I'm also aware of the great concern that many, again, have about their health. That level of concern does require a quick and a considered response. But we will do that as soon as we can. And then how much will you be influenced by what's happening in the six counties in the north of Ireland, given that they're now talking about a six-week lockdown from St Stephen's Day? Uh, Well, every uh, 
uh, different jurisdiction, different countries do make their own choices. And of course, we always look at what is happening elsewhere, particularly in our nearest neighbours. So of course it will be a factor, but throughout... Sure, uh, sorry, surely it's more of a factor than what happens in any other European country, uh, given that we share a land border, that people move across so much, even down to the fact that we're now going to be lending them ambulances uh, to cope with their crisis up there. Indeed, and the point I was going to make is that in our efforts to uh, respond back to COVID-19 in 2020, what is happening in Northern Ireland has always been so important to us both from a health point of view, for what is happening uh, uh, within Northern Ireland, but of course for what it means for the rest of our country. Uh, but it is also the case that we have taken different health choices at different points in time, and we will be guided by a range of advice that we get. But it's very timely, as you know, we are meeting the Northern Ireland Executive tomorrow. Uh, we have a regular meeting planned with them tomorrow, and it's particularly timely in light of how urgent the situation is in Northern Ireland and the effect it does have on us. But if we also have the reproductive rate going up here, as Stephen Donnelly said in the Doyle today, would that not suggest that we should be moving almost in lockstep with the North? That if they're going for a six-week lockdown from St Stephen's Day, if we're going to require a lockdown because of increased numbers, we might as well do it finally, much at the same time as they do it. Well, a six-week lockdown on an economy has the most profound consequences uh, not just for our economic health, but for many, many other aspects of our society as well. As I said, at different points in responding back to COVID, we have taken different public health choices. We always uh, keep in contact and coordinate where possible. And an important decision has been made to assist our neighbours in the difficulty they have faced. They're facing now, but as I said, we are meeting them face to face, or rather over computer tomorrow. It will be an opportunity to understand further what decisions they're making. But on the whole phraseology of lockdown and what that means, I briefly make what I hope is uh, an, an important point, which is what a lockdown of our economy looks like has changed as we have gone through 2020. So as difficult as the last few weeks were, and as difficult as they were and so hard on the nearly 150,000 people who lost their job in recent weeks, it is very different to what our country went through before the summer. And one of the things we'll certainly pause on very and reflect on very carefully is are the changes that we might have to make and indeed will need to make in a few weeks' time that would allow us to learn also and would build on the learning that we had in recent weeks. And that's why we will be considering, obviously, very seriously what Neffet has said to us um, and given that the time But it does deserves. that suggest that when Enfit comes with its proposals and it looks very much from a health point of view, that you and Michael McGrath are possibly the voices who are arguing strongly the economic consequences when others are more concerned solely on the health effects? Uh, any, uh, any colleague who's involved in making a decision on this in Cabinet and in Neffet uh, is absolutely aware of the consequence of the decisions that we make. And in talking to Neffet, as I have at so many points in 2020, they are as aware of the consequences of the decision that they make as I am. Uh, and uh, what we are seeking to do and have always done is Neffet are responsible for one deeply serious uh, element of our health, uh, uh, our economic health, uh, but also so focused on how we can beat COVID-19. I want to do the same thing as well. 
And what I am also mindful of is the decisions that we make impact on tens of thousands of people and their jobs, if not more, and I want to ensure that a decision that we make is balanced and effective. Well, the Taunashu, your party leader, Leo Varadkar, has been saying it could be six months at least before we start getting back to normal. Does that mean that because there are so many people whose jobs are going to be affected by that, that you will continue to make the compensation payments to make sure that they can earn a living? So uh, I was there when the Taunashtha made that point and he was relating it to uh, where we are, not just with the availability of a vaccine, but with an effective vaccination programme. And if you look at what it does mean is that it will take some time in 2021 for that to have the effect that we want it to have. And why that is important is it does mean that the bridge, this terrible bridge that we've all been going over together, between the start of this disease and when we might be able to contain it through a vaccine. The end of that bridge is in sight, but it is still a little bit away. What it does mean is uh, the payments that we have, for example, the employment wage subsidy scheme. I do expect that a form of the wage subsidy will be in place for much of 2021. If we have the opportunity to vary the payments in the wage subsidy scheme, if we're successfully able to leave our economy open, I'll do that. If, on the other hand, we need to have the payments at a higher level, because a lot of our economy is closed, as was the case recently, that, of course, is something government will have to decide on too. Do you think there are some businesses perhaps a little bit impatient in what they expect can be done? We had last night a representative of Fulch Ireland talking about foreign tourists at St. Patrick's Day. We're hearing today of Dublin and Cork airports, which are also in state control, having incentives for airlines to increase flights into the country. Are they getting ahead of themselves? I think that's just a reflection of what a modern economy is like, um, engaging with government and making their point through our media. Uh, We have so many different elements in our economy that are all focused on doing what they believe is the right thing for themselves. And that really matters because that impacts the number of people they can employ. It impacts can they reopen. It impacts how many people may have a job. So what they're doing is right and proper by those people. Uh, But as a member of of government, we have to be responsible for more than one thing. We were responsible for our country overall. And it is unfortunately uh, our duty to look at trade-offs and to make decisions uh, that cause difficulty for many, but we're trying to do the right thing collectively as we get ready in 2021 then for medicine that can make a big difference. The Economic and Social Research Institute had a major report out today in which it anticipated a further lockdown earlier in the year and based its forecasts on that. So is it inevitable as when the various scientists are telling us, yes, there's a third wave coming, is it inevitable that even if it isn't the type of lockdown that we had earlier this year, the recent lockdown that we had or the level five restrictions are almost inevitable? Um, uh, The recent restrictions that we have had uh, and uh, what has happened there, uh, I could not describe the scope of those restrictions as inevitable. Uh, We went through a period, for example, in which all of our retail sector was shut down. Uh, We went through a period in which many professional services were shut down. And certainly what I will want to uh, consider very, very carefully, if there are decisions that we can make uh, that do deliver a very large public health benefit, and not have to do other things uh, that still keep people in a job and don't have as big a public health benefit. So to answer your question, as we move into 2021, I believe it is very likely we'll have to make decisions in relation to further restrictions. 
but the scope of those restrictions is something that we will have to decide on in the coming days. How worried are you that we have a two-tier economy and that the divergence between the tiers is increasing, which is going to mean further inequality in the society that you have? For all the people who have yep. jobs and income still coming in and we see the economy is unbelievably almost still growing, we have these enormous numbers who are facing long-term unemployment. I'm enormously concerned about it. And it's one of the first things I think about in the morning. Uh, it's on my mind all day. Uh, and I'm concerned about it for two reasons. History teaches us uh, over the great sweep of the terrible impact of pandemics on, on many societies that one of the consequences of them can be increased inequality. And if you look at the very modern context that we are in, uh, we left a period pre-COVID uh, that was dissatisfactory to too many. Uh, are unsatisfactory to too many. Uh, and if you now look at where we are, that risk of inequality uh, is something that I'm really aware of and very concerned about, and I'm going to do all I can to try to mitigate. One of the things the ESRI said in their report today, uh, which is figures that you're well familiar with on this programme, is they, they made a point about the increased level of savings that is happening and could continue into 2021. And that is the case, but I see it slightly differently that we're going to have one part of our economy that's experiencing a surge in savings and another part of our economy that is perhaps using the savings that they have to get by or to keep a business going. You're also running a major deficit in government because you're spending a lot more than you're taking in the taxes. And a lot of people say even if it isn't immediate, you are going to have to bring in more taxes. The ESRI has pointed out that corporation tax may not be as bountiful in the future. Do you need to be looking at things like increased PRSI on employers, levies maybe to pay for education, rather than eventually loading the tax burden back on workers? I expect corporate tax receipts will go down in the coming years. Uh, I pre-COVID based all of my budget forecasts for the next few years on decreased corporation tax receipts. And while I can't, or indeed nobody can predict exactly what the decrease will be, I do believe they'll come down. Um, in relation to your point regarding what our tax base needs to be in the future, uh, at this point in COVID, uh, we went into this uh, uh, awful disease with an economy and with public finances that were in very, very good condition. Uh, it is possible that there will be a gap between what we collect in tax and how much we're spending uh, once we have recovered from COVID. But the magnitude of that gap, it's just too early at this point to be able to say. But there's two things I'm already certain about. The first one is, if such a gap does exist, it is going to be very different in nature and in different scale to where we were a decade ago. And secondly, if it does exist, it'll be because we're making a choice to spend more on particular public services, which we now know we will need more in the future, partially because of what has happened with COVID. And one of the things that we will have to look at, but no decision has been made in relation to this, and we have a process to go through to evaluate it, is our social insurance code, our levels of PRSI, and if there is a case for them being adjusted. OK, it's almost incredible that we haven't even mentioned Brexit, which just shows you what an impact COVID has had this year. Do you think that as you're now in these talks continue between the British and the European Union and Brussels, do you think, will the British, are they coming to their senses in that they can't afford a no-deal situation on top of the COVID impact on their economy? Uh, well, the politics of COVID, the politics of a disease that's already caused, caused mass unemployment, uh, does have an effect on the politics of Brexit and because it also affects 
what Brexit can mean uh, uh, for economies that are already in great difficulty. But that's not just a point about the UK. It's a dilemma we're all facing into. And rather at this late point in this process, talk about a side coming to their senses or not. This has been an enormously demanding and difficult negotiation. I believe an agreement is possible. Uh, if that agreement is reached, it will be so important for the Irish economy for eliminating another source of uncertainty um, and does make the return to growth and the return to jobs that bit quicker. Finally, will 2021 be better than 2020? Yes. How can you be so confident? Two reasons. I have a lot of confidence in science and I have an awful lot of confidence in the regulators and the public authorities that oversee science. And if I look at the work that is underway in relation to vaccines, I believe not just the availability of a vaccine, but the way it can be administered and the ability of a good vaccination programme to help a society and protect our most vulnerable is something that even now we might be underappreciating. And I think it can have a really big impact. And the second reason why I believe 2021 will be better than 2020 is even though there continues to be huge economic uncertainty, important things are happening politically that really matter to our country. We have a different US president. Europe is making really big and positive decisions from banking union, which I was involved in, to climate, to the launch of a fund to help an inclusive recovery within Europe. There are big things that matter to small open countries like Ireland. And for those two reasons, as I look into 2020, I believe that if you and I are in this studio the same week next year, it'll be a better year. I hope you're right. Thank you very much, Minister Pascal Donoghue, for joining us. So are you planning on travelling home this Christmas? Join us after the break when we'll be discussing what restrictions may be changed and what they'll mean to you. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board certified physicians who can prescribe FDA approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Plushcare.com slash weight loss. Welcome back. Well, joining us now, Professor Luke O'Neill and editor of the journal.ie, Sinead O'Carroll. But first, via Skype, the chief executive of the Irish Restaurants Association, Adrian Cummins. By the sounds of it, Adrian, maybe bad news coming. It looks as if the restaurants may be shut again from the 28th of December. What's your reaction to that? Good evening, Matt. Uh, huge concern for our industry tonight. Uh, the news coming from the advice to the government to close down hospitality in the new year. We're very, very concerned for our industry, for our employees and our workers. Uh, so we really, really want to, our government to take into consideration that our industry is a safe, regulated and controlled environment. 
when they make their decision uh, in, at the Cabinet meeting next Tuesday. What is the evidence that you're safe? Because it would appear to many outsiders looking in that if you have people in a reasonably confined space of a restaurant, even at tables that are at a distance from each other, that that must increase the risk, particularly if people are drinking. Well, yesterday, Matt, the uh, Health Service Protection Centre issued their report on COVID outbreaks uh, per category. So they look at households, they look at workplaces, but when they looked at hospitality in cafes, restaurants and gastrobars over the last two weeks since we've been opened, no cases of COVID outbreaks in these uh, areas and environments because we are a controlled, regulated environment. And what we're saying to the government is work with us and to try and keep our businesses open because a third lockdown will have a devastating economic impact on our industry. And this yo-yo effect that we're having with regard to our sector just isn't sustainable, isn't economically feasible going forward. And what we want to do is get the vaccine rollout as quickly as possible so that we can get our economy fully open uh, as soon as possible. And at present, since you've reopened, have people been taking advantage of the restaurants been open? Have you had the numbers that you expected or have people decided to stay at home out of safety's sake? So we've done a lot of, of analysis with regards to this. Uh, we're back about 35% on our capacity and that has been that's reflected in the number of bookings that we've had uh, specifically in Dublin, down the country, it's a lot, lot less. We've seen capacity of about 50% bookings in our industry. So the pent up demand is is there, but is not as as large as and as 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 such a volume that we thought it would be. And as we head into the next no, uh, number of days, we can see and even tonight, there's a huge amount of cancellations uh, because of this uncertainty. What we need is clarity from the government as quickly as possible so that we can plan into the future. We want to work with government to keep our businesses open. A third lockdown will have a devastating effect on our industry. Thank you very much, Adrian Cummins, for joining us on The Tonight Show. Luke O'Neill, last couple of times you've been with us, you've been very positive, talking about vaccines and better times ahead for 2021, but we still are in 2020. How seriously are you taking the latest figures in relation to daily numbers of COVID-19 cases and also the increase in the reproductive rate? It's a concern, Matt, obviously. I mean, it's in the wrong direction again, sadly, and the government are now going to respond and limit this period, I guess. But remember, Ireland's done great. The past two months, our numbers have gone down and down and down. We're the best in Europe, actually, at the moment. So the goal now is to maintain that. In other words, they're saying, look, we're doing great. Let's keep doing what we're doing and make sure we keep these numbers on, on the right trajectory. Yeah, but hold on. We're not doing what we had been doing up to a couple of weeks ago we're now facing into a situation where people are socializing people are going to start moving around the country and going to each other's houses should they be doing that if it's if it's con we're controlled Matt, in a sense i mean the guidelines are good for this period remember if like three households meeting is okay you'd like none of this by the way but the fact is people will do it christmas is coming there has to be some little bit of loosening but if people just observe the guidelines of decrease your contacts the usual things we may be able to get this back under control is the hope here Okay, Sinead O'Carroll, I think Pascal Donoghue was hinting that 
the idea of intercounty travel lasting until the 6th of January and keeping hospitality open is looking doubtful at best. What are we hearing tonight politically as to what the thinking is? Yes, yeah, so reports tonight that the NEFID advice was three days after Christmas, um, hospitality should close and there should be more restrictions added in. Um, so give people, like Luke was saying, human behaviour, people are going to want to visit family and visit people who are important to them over those three days, but then cut it off. Um, reports that it might be the 29th when we start to see more restrictions. But would that suggest that particularly New Year's Eve is a concern that you have a situation where they would be afraid of revelry on that night? getting out of control. Yeah, and, there, and the hospitality industry had been looking for that extra hour, so like, let us stay open till half 12 so that people won't go home to houses. But I think the messaging right now is like, okay, you can do certain things, but not do. let's not do all of them. And when you hear Adrian saying there has been cancellations, I do think that people are probably taking that on board. If they had planned to do two or three things next week, they're probably pairing it back now. Seeing the numbers and seeing the chaotic, like Luke's right, other countries in Europe, including Northern Ireland, on this island, Northern Ireland, they're into chaotic regimes. They're, they're into real proper chaos in hospitals and with confusion over regulations and with people having to change last minute plans. We're not quite there. Obviously, we're on the wrong trajectory, but it still feels manageable. It still feels like people can change what they had planned and change um, what the next two weeks Any look like. Any indication from the HSE is how comfortable it is at present with dealing with its situation and how quickly that could turn against it in the way that it has in the North. So Anne O'Connor, the COO of the HSC, said during the week because she was asked about whether she could help, could Irish hospitals help Northern Irish hospitals because, you know, we're seeing 17, 21 ambulances queuing outside. She said that at the moment we're fine. Uh, Irish hospitals are coping. That's not to say that they could cope with you know, a huge escalation in cases, but there was 30 hospitalizations in the past 24 hours. Irish hospitals are coping fine with that. We probably can help out Northern Ireland if possible. Um, it's just if there's exponential growth, that's when we'll start getting into problems. We couldn't handle 104% capacity like Northern Ireland have. Would you worry about New Year's Eve perhaps as much or even more than about Christmas? You would, Matt. I mean, people have to literally behave. The word behave yourself is the essence of it. In Europe at the moment, there's 160,000 people in hospital, 27,000 people in ICUs, 6,000 deaths a day. That's in Europe, right? We're not like that. It's fantastic. Ireland is performing extremely well. If we become like Germany or Belgium, where there was a lot of mingling, a lot of mixing and all the rest of it, their numbers begin to go up. And the worry is exponential spread. Suddenly it takes off like a rocket. We don't want to be like that on the 27th of December, 28th. And that's why NEFID are, are, are yeah, saying... Yeah, but look, I mean, we're talking about inter-county travel, but we're not talking about foreign travel, people coming into the country for Christmas, or maybe people leaving Ireland to go home for Christmas and coming back in again. Does the government need to be firmer in discouraging or even stopping that? Well, they're hoping people will comply. It's a dreaded word. And we're looking in Ireland. People are cancelling the next seven days activity because they're going to meet a relative on Christmas Day and they want to make sure they don't get infected in that seven days. That, that's what's happening. The Irish people actually, remarkably, are being sensible. And that has to continue. Now, inward travel, the rules are five days isolation, a test at the end. of. If people do that, that will be somewhat satisfactory. It'd be better if there was testing and quarantine, of course, but that's not going to happen in this period. But that, that plan of a five-day isolation, if you will, a restriction of movement followed by a test is reasonable. And if we talk to each other as well, it seems extreme to say what the HSC said today about like only if you trust that person with your life should you meet them indoors. But a lot of people are adhering to that in probably not as uh, stark terms, but only seeing people that they absolutely feel that they want to see over Christmas. Is there any estimate as to what the level of intercounty travel is likely to be in Ireland over this Christmas period? I mean, I know there, there must be countless people living in Dublin 
who have moved from other parts of the country and the other cities as well who may want to go home. Do we know how many people might be moving? No, and one of the things, because I think it has been missing a little bit from the narrative, because a lot of the chat has been when you go to your family for Christmas dinner and almost as if you'll be leaving, you know, using disposable plates and all the rest. But sure, most people who are living in cities go home to places that are home home, as we say when we are going home home, <laughs> is very much outside of Dublin. Um, and usually that includes sleepovers. So if there's a sleepover, there has been less advice, I think, and less narrative around what happens in those cases. Yeah, so what would you recommend, Luke, in that situation? Well, again, it's hard to stop it, man. If people want to go home for Christmas, don't they? Now, you might try to ban them. In America, everybody moved for Thanksgiving in spite of the government saying, don't do this, you know. So it's human and behaviour. how much trouble did that cause? It's, it's going to be really tough. So if people go home for Christmas, try to drive in a car, don't try to meet too many people, get to your hometown, limit the number of people you meet, you know, very importantly. If you're going to meet vulnerable people, make sure you haven't been going to parties before you head home, that kind of thing. These guidelines are there, by the way, on, on gov.ie. It's a great, there's a great list of guidelines, to be honest, on that website, what to do over Christmas. Follow those guidelines and we might be okay. We might not be okay. There's a worry still, but this is sort of a pragmatic response, I yeah, think, at the moment. A, there's a calculator on the HSC where you can go on and click how many people you're going to see indoors, how many people you'll see outdoors, and it just gives you a sense of, right, how many people, am I comfortable with seeing that many people over the next seven days? And it will probably help you to think, right, if I do end up getting contact trace, will I be comfortable saying I've met 25 people? Will you be comfortable saying I've met 13 people? Um, and just figure out from there. And I think it's it is pragmatic from Neffet. They're not telling you not to do mm. things. They know human behaviour. They know we have to do this next week, or a lot of us will feel like we have to do it. Um, but they might as well be realistic with us as well. <laughs> OK, Luke, how concerned are you by what's going on in the North? I put it to Pascal Donoghue earlier about that we've done things differently at different times, despite the fact that we share the same island. Is there an argument that we should be going in lockstep with them from St. Stephen's Day when they're doing a six-week lockdown? And it's not going to be lockdown like we did earlier in the year, maybe do we need to get over the level five restrictions as quickly as possible if they're needed again? It looks to me there will be a similar lockdown here on the 28th of December, maybe that kind of time frame. Not as rigorous as the north, but in that direction, especially if these numbers keep going up. There's a hope, Matt, that the numbers won't keep going up. I mean, it's a bit probably foolhardy to say that. But let's say we get to the 25th of December and the numbers are stabilising, we're in a better place. They still might introduce some restrictions and the worry over New Year's Eve and so on is probably well warranted, you know. But to mimic the north at this stage, may not be warranted because our numbers are much better. You see, it's, not, it's a numbers game, effectively. You know. Yeah, how much concern is there, do you think, in government circles that we have been almost let down by the different way of doing things up north? Yeah, and I think it's one of the things that when we look back in 10, 20, 30 years' time when we're actually evalu evaluating how we did during this pandemic, it will be one of the big failings that we weren't able to get in step. But it's hard to know where, their finger to blame, where to point the finger of blame or if there is an, even is a ability to do that. When you see during the week people calling for uh, Robin Swan to re resign, but you also know the, the barriers that he has in the administration that he's trying to work. If you look at the UK, so there was an interesting thing this week. They put out, uh, after the week of vaccinations, they put out how many people had been vaccinated. So there had been 137,000 uh, inoculations in the UK. They gave the figure for England. 108,000 of those doses were in England, but no breakdown of figures in Northern Ireland, Scotland and Wales. So I think it gave a kind of indication of where the narrative and where the importance of Northern Ireland is when you're talking about the UK administration and which Northern Ireland obviously 
um, has to talk with. And Luke, how fearful would you be that if suddenly if the HSE has to cope with dealing with the consequences of a third major outbreak, that that will handicap it in trying to deliver the vaccine at the same time? I don't think so. They're two separate things, remember. I mean, it's the same organisation doing both things. It is, but hopefully it's a separate part of the organisation. It's, it's going to be a military operation of sorts, I guess, logistically. Now, they may, we've got to make sure they do this right. I mean, I've got confidence that they will, first of all. Uh, they're going to have two and a half thousand people vaccinated by the end of the year. That's that's what Brian McGrath said. Uh, fantastic news today. Ursula von der Leyen has said uh, all 27 states can begin vaccinating on December 27th. That's a statement of fact. That means the EMA is about to approve the vaccine. And now it becomes a question of get the vaccine to Ireland, in our case, as quick as we can, from Belgium and Germany, the two places. So now it's just a, a matter of getting the injections and getting going on it. You know, The dream would be a million people vaccinated by March. That, that's a, not an unreasonable goal. As, as, you know, and what no, would that do for us if we get to that million by March? It'll be tremendous, Matt, because first of all, it's the vulnerable, remember, and the healthcare workers. Now, what that means is the death rate will begin to fall because you're protecting the vulnerable. The number of people in hospital begins to fall. The number of people getting really sick begins to fall. If the death rate gets to 0.05, say, by April, governments can't lock down in, in that situation because it's not justified, you know. So just protecting the vulnerable will allow you to begin to loosen things a bit. Now, of course, we've got to have the Vaccines Plus campaign, by the way. This isn't like flipping a light switch, as we've said a thousand times. This isn't VE day in Europe. Suddenly, we're out of it. Keep wearing the masks. Keep washing your now, hands. Do you fear the... that there are people who've become even a little bit complacent in recent weeks because of all of the publicity about the vaccine? I think it's human nature. People want to get out of this. And they're, oh, look, there's a vaccine now and then they might change their behaviour. We've got to keep saying what I just said. It's vaccines plus for six months, I would say, because it'll take that amount of time to truly protect and shield all the vulnerable. Then we get to April, May, June, widespread rollout. If we're lucky by June, anybody can get the vaccine in Ireland, if everything goes according to plan. Now, it could take another three months beyond that, certainly by the summer. And especially if the second vaccine is approved, by the way, which might, which might happen tonight. I was just there, I was watching, I was watching live the FDA um, deliberations. They may approve the Moderna vaccine today or tomorrow. We've now got two vaccines available, and that really helps. Yeah, Europe have brought their date forward as well to the 6th of January for the Moderna one. But I think the delivery will be the massive test as well, going back to how well we, we do with this pandemic. If the UK figures translated percentage-wise, we would be where Luke is saying a million by March. But can we, can we promise that to anyone? We're hearing the vaccine has been approved in the last few moments. Ah, you see now. That's, that's great news. That's great news. Yeah. Well, Sinead is staying with us, but Luke, just to finish with you, I'm going to put the same question to you as I put to Pascal Donoghue. Is 2021 going to be better than 2020? 100% better. It's just a, it's I'm going to hold you to that. Oh, I, I, I'll come back on here in June, July, and you and I will have a good conversation because the hope is tremendous because of all this science, remember. It's fantastic. It could slip. You know, that's, that's, as a politician, I might put a caveat at the end of the sentence. But I'm very hopeful. I mean, there's no question we're going to get out of this in 2021. This time next year, we'll have a proper Christmas celebration. Watch is the hope. Hold you to that one. Thank you very much to Professor Luke O'Neill for joining us. Sinead is staying with us and Dermot Ferreter will be joining us as well for a look back on the politics of 2020. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. 
That's what you'll feel with Bowlin Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowlin Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlinBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Welcome back. Well, the historian Dermot Ferreter joins us now alongside Sinead O'Carroll to take a look back at the extraordinary year that was 2020. But first, here are some of the biggest moments from the year. Britain will continue to be a great European power. Our first preference was for a government without Fianna Fáil or Fine Gael. I need to speak to you about coronavirus and COVID-19. If we can manage to keep things under control, we can prevent a surge in infection and may well lead to deaths of people. And then I see the disinfectant and is there a way we can do something like that? I've developed mild symptoms of the coronavirus. The Leaving Cert as we know it has been cancelled. I have come to this conclusion with a heavy heart. The President, on my advice this evening, terminated the appointment of Deputy Barry Cohn as a member of the government. I made a big mistake. Um, I shouldn't have gone. I pledge to be a President who seeks not to divide, but unify. Who doesn't see red states and blue states, only sees the United States. The incumbent president refuses to accept the math, or as I've learned from my Irish friends, the maths. We were getting ready to win this election. Frankly, we did win this election. If the British government, or indeed if the EU, are, are about to take a change of direction, there'd be a heads up. It was wonderful to say there are vaccines on the horizon. Possibly the busiest news year in living memory. David Ferret, of course, we started with a general election when we talked about housing and health and very little attention has been paid to COVID-19. And we got a very unusual result, I suppose you could say, out of it. I think if we hadn't had the COVID-19, though, would the numbers still have dictated Fianna Fáil, Fine Gael and Greens forming a government, or did they just have to because of the health situation? Well, it certainly gave an added pressure. There's no doubt about that. I think without the pandemic, we would have focused perhaps more on the end of civil war politics or the formal end of civil war politics in Ireland uh, and the move to really a three-party system uh, from what had been a two-party system for so long. I mean, that was the big political shift. Uh, it's been building, obviously, for some time. Um, there was certainly a desire on the part of both Fine Gael and Fianna Fáil to prevent Sinn Féin. Uh, from, from being in government. I mean, that was one of the, the, uh, the main reasons why they came together. Uh, but for the two of them to be sharing power now, formally sharing power, um, I mean, that almost 100 years after the Civil War was a momentous event in Irish politics. And of course, it was overshadowed inevitably by the scale of the pandemic and, and what that did to not just politics, but to society. So how are the sworn deadly enemies getting on together in government? 
Well, I think that's it because absolutely every experience that we've had and every single news story, it can't be seen through anything but the prism and lens of COVID-19. So even when you're looking at how they're getting on, you look at, um, the, initially there was loads of comparisons to the trio of Simon Harris, Leo Varker and Tony Holohan. Okay, what's it like now when it's Micheál Martin, uh, Tony Holohan and Stephen Donnelly, which people took ages to get used to. Um, and I think that probably hampered the the idea of, of all of them getting familiar with each other and, and having a bit of continuity and messaging. Um, that seems to have settled down a bit. People have finally stopped calling Leo Varkar the Taoiseach. <laughs> um, but there's still news, like things like today, you know, there's um, spokespeople uh, shadowing Fine Gael ministers in Fianna Fáil. So there's still a lot of discomfort in how this relationship is meant to work. Yeah, Jeremy, do you think because of COVID-19, they've had to be nicer to each other and be more bonded to each other in coalition than they might otherwise have been? And could it be then that the Greens could actually, ironically, be the weak link rather than the glue between the two of them? Well, the, there is a shared greater purpose, you know, in relation to COVID. There's no doubt about that. But th this was also about Fianna Fáil being out of practice, you know. They've been out of government for so long. For a party that was always called the natural party of government and had been such a part uh, of governing for decades, uh, they had to get used to uh, governance again, and it was a very different kind of governance. Uh, the Green Party seemed to be having a, a, a long night of the soul, uh, even though they had done relatively well uh, in the general election. Uh, that success was always going to create problems for them, uh, because as the party gets bigger uh, and you know the more varied the views are as to the merits of, of, of sharing power, the more difficult it was going to be to manage internal party uh, dissension and discipline. Um, so and does that suggest that if the government doesn't go the full distance, it won't be because Fianna Fáil or Fine Gael pulled the plug, it could be because the Greens can't... But I mean, we only have to look at how much infighting there was going on in the Green Party, and even looking at the leadership challenge that was there. Um, I mean, that, that was another development within the Green Party, um, which was pretty much 50-50 uh, between the deputy leader and the leader. Um, and then you had younger, very prominent younger Greens who were saying, I can't live with this decision uh, uh, this is going to lead to one compromise too many. Now, that seems to have settled somewhat, um, but there are still a lot of concerns within the Green Party that they're just going to have to swallow too much. And this comes back to the age-old problem for the smaller parties in a coalition government. Well, you also mentioned a three-party system, Fianna Fáil, Fine Gael, Sinn Féin. They used to say that Labour was the half-party, but haven't there been times in the last couple of decades when Labour was as big as Sinn Féin is now? I mean, do you see Sinn Féin building on this, or could it be as people get to know more of, other than the front-ranked TDs, perhaps having more doubts about them? Well, the most crucial question there is governance. You know, I mean, Sinn Féin can continue to build uh, as an opposition party. Uh, I don't know quite how high... Uh, they can go because Fianna Gael are, are relatively solid. It seems to be Fianna Fáil uh, who, who are taking the hit according to the polls. But no, the real test for Sinn Féin and the durability of its support would be being in government. You know, and there was a case to be made, and it was made, let's not forget, uh, both before and after the general election. There were some within Fianna Fáil and Fianna Gael who did want Sinn Féin to be in power because their logic was they'll have to start making difficult decisions now. Um, and that will change... Uh, the kind of language that they use, that will change the way in which they present themselves as a community party of the people because they're going to have to start doing uh, difficult things. Which you see in Northern Ireland and you and you can also see that's why Micheál Martin gets so frustrated and prickly at certain things that the opposition bring up if he feels that they're Sinn Féin-backed motions or um, that there's, you know, it was a, the example during the week was with Richard Boyd Barrett but a lot of it is because you're, he feels they're being disingenuous. You know, you can't want student nurses 
nurses to be paid, but also keep um, student nurses' degree. Those kind of things really frustrate him, and I think it's exactly because they have no uh, experience going Is that going to be one of the great challenges for Michal Martin in communications in 2021, that he's going to have to learn to control his frustrations? I think so, because it's led him into some sticky situations in the in the last few weeks. And it, it hampers, I think, people's ability to connect with him as someone other than old Fianna Fáil, which obviously is never going to do him or the party well. And what about the issue that Fine Gael obviously lost popularity in the general election, but then bizarrely enough, Leo Varadkar and various ministers who have been reviled became suddenly very popular until the summer when the new government came into place. What, what was that all about and why has Michal Martin and the new government failed to have the same success, it seems, in communicating with the people? I think because the COVID-19 pandemic has had kind of three chapters so far. So the first chapter, when it was kind of nipping at the, at the shores, we, we knew we were about to get the first cases. People were quite ready to be locked down, to be told your lives will be restricted, but we have to keep this virus at bay. The communications around that were relatively straightforward, even though they were very difficult actions. The communications around them were straightforward. And we also had a familiarity with, like I said earlier, Simon Harris, Leah Fracker and Tony Holohan. They also had an almost familiar relationship with each other, which I think a lot of people got solace in um, and a lot of comfort in. These people know each other, they have this. That changed then when those the people in front of us changed and also the communications got messier. So people couldn't tell which, which it was. The communications were just harder, but there was also a lot of blame. But there was also the exhaustion people. with the pandemic yeah. and with the lockdown because there's a fair degree of solidarity at the outset. You know, Leo Varadkar's Taoiseach in March would have been able to, to make his State of the Nation address. Um, and there's the use of military terminology and we're like, this is something we have to defeat and we have to do it together. Uh, and you build a degree of solidarity and people were looking for leadership and they were looking for clarity. Uh, and they felt by and large they were, they, they were getting a fair measure of it, there were mistakes made, what happened with the nursing homes in particular will always be a cloud over this year. Uh, but at the same time, what do we have now uh, and what did we have this year as a people uh, that we didn't have facing previous crises, because the state has faced other crises. We have a fairly advanced welfare state. We have a peaceful island. You know, we have solidarity uh, with with our EU uh, fellow members of the EU. So would you assess uh, the, it that like we've done quite has, well this year? In certain ways, you know, I mean, I think there was a robust political response, and there needed to be, you know, and that guarantee that they were able to give, that say they weren't able to give in Northern Ireland, wasn't it very revealing um, that Northern Ireland politicians, apart from their inability to be mature enough to do what they needed to do uh, until too late in the day, they were also making the point that we don't have the money to do what the Republic is doing in terms of, of, of a guaranteed pandemic payment, for example, that we don't have that power ourselves. So, I mean, there the, the were decisions that were made like that, that were the right decisions. And I think people recognise them as such, notwithstanding um, the learning curve uh, that so many politicians, no more than the rest of us, were on. And, you know, difficult times call uh, for... Uh, responsible leadership and mature leadership. Um, but the longer this kind of crisis endures, the more that is going to fray and people's perception of those who are governing them begins to fray. Should and it's not helped, of course, by the, the kind of controversies we saw in the summer, which, you know, I mean, without going over all of the golf gate again, um, there are moments like that when people again began to think in terms of them and us. Yeah. We're very critical of ourselves at times, but could it be that actually we did better in this country than clearly they did in the United States, where they've over 300,000 dead, than they've done in Britain, where I think it's more than 50,000 dead. Even continental Europe has certainly not 
handled this particular uh, pandemic, it seems, as well as we have here in Ireland. Yeah, I think, like I said earlier, it's really hard to give out gold stars or black marks now because there'll be so much that we have to look back on. Um, the nursing homes is probably our biggest one. Um, whether we should have, you know, got in step with Northern Ireland more quickly or even if the, even look at what was possible in that. So I think we're very early to, to give ourselves a pat on the back or completely, uh, you know, blame anybody in government for it's, doing the right I think it's one of the great tragedies of this year is the failure of a small island to act together. You know, it's exactly... Could this be a driver for United Ireland? Well, you see, I wouldn't make that jump. I mean, it's exactly 100 years since the act that created the partition of Ireland has been passed, you know, and here we are 100 years on. Uh, it really has highlighted the, the damage of partition. And I'm not making a political point in saying that. There were particular reasons 100 years ago where that settlement was arrived at. And of course, it wasn't accepted by many. Uh, but you can see 100 years on, you know, the practicalities What's involved in managing something that has nothing to do uh, with, you know, green or orange, you know, the, this health pandemic, you know, and we know that North and South were able to act in concert before when it came to animal diseases and controlling animal diseases, but they weren't able to do okay. it, it seemed, when it came to We have this. one minute left, so I want to ask both of you the same question to answer in 30 seconds. I asked our other guests this, is 2021 going to be better than 2020? Um, I hope there will be less Zooms, and for that, it has to be better. Um, it, I think it'll take a while, but obviously, by the time we get everyone vaccinated, but there's hope and light at the end of the tunnel, which always helps. You know, it's, it's like a long-distance relationship. At least if you know when you're going to live together, it's a lot easier to get through the next few months. Um, so if there was no end in sight or a vaccine in sight, I think 2021 would look pretty dismal. Um, but yeah, hopefully we'll be, I don't know, for me, at a sporting event at some point in 2021. And that'll be my... What about you, Darren? Are you still confident about there 2021? There's going to be an awful lot of people suffering greatly next year. And there are an awful lot of people who are not going to be able to get back to any kind of normalisation because of the devastation that's been wreaked on their businesses or their livelihoods, depending on what they do. Some of us have been relatively well protected. But we're going to be carrying the legacies of this, the psychological legacies and the practical legacies, for a lot longer than the next year. And would you be hopeful that with Trump gone in the United States, that we'll have less of this sort of... Uh, tub-thumping ideology leading our politics globally? Well, as a historian, I'm prone to pessimism for obvious reasons, because I look at what ha has happened in the world in the past. But it was refreshing to hear Joe Biden talk in civil terms and talk in relation to bringing people together and just talk about the need for um, a civil discourse in American life and American politics. And that's it's great to end on that positive note. Thank you very much. Um, our thanks to Dermot and Sinead for being with us. That is all we have time for. And also thank you to all of our guests this year. I'll be back on radio tomorrow on Today FM. The Tonight Show will return here on Virgin Media 1 in January. Until then, have a very safe and a very happy Christmas and New Year. See you in the New Year. This is a Virgin Media Originals podcast series.